Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. If you haven't been following the news out of Quebec last week about Claude Jutras, or even if you have, it's still very difficult to convey what this is. We don't really have an equivalent. There is no English-Canadian film director that means to us what Claude Jutras means to French Canadians. I mean, we don't have streets and parks named after David Cronenberg. There's no statue of Adam McGoyan. But that's who Claude Jutras is uh, or was in, in French Canada. His 1971 film, Mon Oncle Antoine, is routinely rated the best Canadian film ever made. But it's more than a film buff thing. It's one of those artworks that people feel like define them, define them politically and culturally that told themselves in the world who they are and who they were becoming after the Quiet Revolution. So Jutras is just a towering figure who has no equivalent, no parallel in English-Canadian culture, let alone English-Canadian film. I mean, I can't think of even an author who means the same thing to us, which is why what happened last week is so staggering to consider. And this is where I will mention that the rest of this podcast discusses the sexual abuse of children. Last week, 
the fact that Claude Jutra had sex with boys went from being a decades-old open secret among those who knew him and those who worked with him to a passing reference in a new biography of him to a legacy-destroying scandal. And that last part happened in the space of, of just like 24 hours. It took just one accuser coming forward in the media but remaining anonymous to completely shift this story, to shift the public sympathy from Jutra to the people who he harmed. Quebec has decided that it believes this person. The Claude Jutra Park and streets and statues are all being renamed and removed. The awards named after him, these are the Oscars of French Canada. They're suddenly no longer called the Jutras. What happened last week is in many ways so similar to other recent scandals, Gameshi, Cosby, Polanski, the same dynamics are in play here, right? Fame and power, those who defer to that fame and power, who, who, who look the other way, anonymous accusation, who we believe and why, trial by media, the truth versus what is provable, and what is wrong versus what is technically criminal. It's also similar, and yet it's also very different, mostly because Claude Jutra is dead, killed himself in 1986 after he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And there are other differences, too, in this story, and they're worth looking at. Les Perrault is the Globe and Mail reporter who has been covering this story for us Anglos, and uh, he will join me in a moment. Wait for it. Quick reminder about Canada Land at the movies, number two. First event was sold out, and it is back this Thursday February 25th at the Review Cinema on Roncesvalles. I will be joined by Robin Doolittle, where she has curated, why do we say curate? She picked a film for us to watch. The movie is Shattered Glass. It's a really good movie. I haven't seen it for years. I can't wait to talk with Robin about it and find out why she chose it and what it means to her. Then we're going to watch the movie. And then afterwards, Jeet here. Toronto journalist Jeet here. he is actually an editor at The New Republic, which is the magazine depicted in Shattered Glass. He knows some of the people who are depicted in this film. He's going to come and talk with the audience and with Robin and I. Come, check it out. You can buy tickets online through our Facebook page, or you can show up at the box office. We are going to set some tickets aside for people who just show up. 7 p.m. this Thursday. Come say hi. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Aaron Birkenbergs, Chelsea Scott, April Dean, Victoria Bilodeau, Ann Walker, Lindsay Mitchell, Bogdan Stanchu, Josh Libin, and Ainsley Moss. Ainsley, why did you decide to be awesome? Because Canada Land is smart, provocative, and hosts exceptional guests who voice important and often underrepresented perspectives. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. 
This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by our founding sponsors, FreshBooks. This is accounting for non-accountants. This is for people who have to send invoices. This is for people who bill by the hour. This is for those of us who have to track our expenses. It's for those of us who rely on a multitude of people to send us money for us to live. It's for those of us who work for a number of different people and companies, and we need to look our best when we invoice to those people. We need to get paid as quick as we can. And with FreshBooks, you can get paid very quickly, not just because the invoices look so great and professional, but also because it allows people to pay you by credit card. It allows you to know when they've looked at your invoice because their mobile app lets you keep an eye on your finances, get quick reporting. FreshBooks is an incredible time saver come tax time, and you can check it out for free for 30 days. When you become a customer, I think you will, tell them that Canada Land sent you. You'll be doing this show a favor. FreshBooks, thanks. The story that we're about to talk about, Les, a lot has happened in the last 24 hours. Can you kind of take me through the difference between yesterday and today? Well, it's actually the, the key sort of turning point was between Monday and actually Tuesday and Wednesday. So this book about Mr. Jutra as a biography, it was uh, written about on the weekend in La Presse, uh, There was where, where the columnist who was writing about the book mentioned that that these allegations of pedophilia were about to come out. And so over the next couple of days, there was a lot of, uh, debate's the wrong word, but there was a lot of outrage going in many different directions because the book is actually fairly vague about what allegations uh, are being made. It speaks of pedophilia, but doesn't offer any sort of details about sourcing or who it's coming from. Uh, it was pretty clear in the book that he hadn't interviewed uh, any victims so this gave a lot of room for denial from Mr. Jutra's uh, uh, fans and friends, which are legion, of course, because this is one of the great legends of Canadian cinema going back to the 50s and 60s and 70s. And so uh, the vagueness of the book, and it was only four pages in a 350-page book, uh, sort of left this space for this really awful back and forth about whether it was a private sexual matter. Because to be clear, the book mentioned people in their teens may have been involved, but it wasn't specific about ages. And uh, so it sort of left this opening for people to argue that he was having affairs with 17-year-olds. And yeah, that's, you know, unpleasant to our 2016 uh, frame of reference, but it was the 60s, he was an artist and, you know, that sort of justification was flying around quite a lot. So what happened is the next day, Wednesday, 
La Presse published an account from one of the victims who said it started when he was six years old. Uh-huh. And that just completely changed everything, of course. And that victim uh, was speaking anonymously. That's right. The La Presse was sort of doing what they could sort of around the periphery to explain how they confirmed the story and who the guy was and that sort of thing. For an example, the guy who's now in his 50s spoke of the abuse to family members immediately after Jutra died in 1986, I believe. Uh, There are other people who knew about it, uh, including one person who is actually a friend of Jutra's who has sort of come out endorsing the victim's story. They said they talked to him for four hours over, you know, a couple of days and uh, cross-referenced a lot of what he was talking about. And, and the, the, the other part, too, is that the, the guy's f- parents were known to be friends of Mr. Jutra. You know, I, of course, there's always room for, for stories being made up or whatever. But, uh, the, the, you know, this guy wasn't somebody who walked in off the street who presented a story that had no corroborating details, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'm familiar with the dynamics. You, you know, you, you can, as a journalist working with not a, really an anonymous, but a confidential source, you know who they are, but they don't want to go public with their name. You're not going to know behind closed doors what happened, but you can, you can do your best to, to verify all of the tangential incidental details, the circumstantial things to see if they if everything makes sense. And I think it would be pretty hard for a person to conjure out of thin air. So at least you can establish that everything else happened, that they, they knew each other and the circumstances that people were where they where he said that they were. Exactly. And when you look at it, this story sort of has come out backwards, right? Because usually what happens is you have a victim, you do everything you can to confirm the story from the victim. And then you go to the tangential people to see if it has the ring of truth, right? And in this case, the book presented the evidence that gave it the ring of truth, that everyone knew Jutra liked young men, that uh, there was weird things that went on on sets involving adolescents, the post facto uh, supporting, uh, not even, you know, circumstantial evidence, I guess, uh, came out first in this case, and then the direct sort of victim came out second. So it. Turn the whole thing on its head, really. Yeah, I suppose, though there is something that uh, has happened before where things that have gone unspoken for years and years finally get voiced, people find the courage uh, once something kind of penetrates into public consciousness. Exactly. Actually, I just got off the phone with an expert on sexual abuse who said the exact same thing, Jesse, that like the floodgates often open when, when the first move is made. Yeah. So before Wednesday, there was a lot of people... Uh, shouting down the messenger that the book was, I read in the Globe and Mail, uh, you call him Lucien Gagnon, was really tearing a new one into this biographer, um, basically accusing him of trying to make it a bestseller with these little insinuations, flimsy evidence, let's not destroy Jutra's image over uh, such flimsy evidence. And, and, and to be fair, it doesn't sound like the book did. It almost feels like the biographer didn't want to write an investigative piece or to, or to give voice to the allegations, but also didn't want to ignore this facet of, of his subject. I, I did not get the sense that this was what the book was, the, the bombshell the book was trying to dine out on and make its name with. It almost seems like the biographer, this is sort of an uh, inconvenient detail. Yeah, he, he feel, felt like it had to be included as part of a, an explanation of the man's work, you know, uh, and he said he was taken aback by how uh, how vehement the reaction was immediately following 
I don't know. I guess if you're a film historian, you look at the world in a different way. It's kind of crazy to read this reaction by Gagnon, which she's saying, oh, he makes strange arguments, you know, oh, just because he had naked boys in his film, does that mean that he was a pedophile and, you know, re- relying on anonymous enforcers? And she says, well, this is only five pages out of 306, really trying to disassemble what was in the book. And even uh, like a, a lot of, there was a correction in there equivocating about when, uh, what year did the legal age from consent move from 14 to 16? But that entire, and, and, and I, I don't mean to pick on her exclusively, because as you say, it sounds like he had no shortage of defenders during the first wave of this. Yeah, that piece is actually a very good uh, example of the defenses that were taking place here in most, you know, 99% in French, of course. And she's not wrong in that the, you know, those four or five pages in that book are, well, I guess you are the editor, but my editor would never let that pass. And you would never publish that on Canada Land, probably the way it was presented. You know, it was, he backed into it. He asserted it rather than like actually reporting it. uh, Yeah. uh, And then spent half of those four pages are dedicated to what Lisanne describes, which is like, you know, an analysis of scenes of his film rather than like getting down to a, to what actually happened. No, we have an editor here now who would have the same concerns. And, and again, it seems like it was it was not something that uh, Yves Lever, the uh, biographer, really wanted to drive home. I just want you to describe what has changed since the La Presse revelations, since they published this interview with this, with this victim. And I appreciate that you're saying this is a victim and I'm saying it's a victim and neither of us are saying this is an alleged victim. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, it's... Uh you will never know the 100% accurate story here because, uh, you know, the man's not here to defend himself either. And I shouldn't say the accurate story, but the sort of balanced story, I guess. Uh, and that's one of the things that's very unique about this is that it is 30 years after he died. So it's sort of terra incognita. But what's been remarkable, and I suspect it is partly because he's dead, it was just the swift nature of the response once uh, the sort of first-hand evidence came out, you know, uh, the city, first of all, the Montreal and others uh, cities immediately announced they were going to look at removing his name from, uh, I think there's about eight or nine streets and parks named for him in in Quebec, in different municipalities, and uh, those are basically all going to be gone, uh, you know, once proper channels, I guess, are followed for changing names. Uh, you know, there's a cinema that had a, their principal viewing uh, theater uh, had his name. They've taken that out. And then, of course, the biggest thing is uh, for 18 years, uh, Quebec's version of the Oscars was named for him. It's the Jutrides. And that's, mm-hmm. that's how most younger Quebecers encounter this name. You know, the, the movie theaters aren't showing uh, his movies anymore, but... Uh, the awards show happens every year and all the stars that all the, everybody knows goes up in their fancy gowns and gets their jutra. And that's, uh, like I say, going on almost well, 18 years. This would have been the 19th. It just shows you the weight of the man's legacy, I guess, as a, as a filmmaker, that it, it was huge. And uh, it's sort of a shame for everyone, actually, that there is no due process of some kind here so that we can know exactly... You, you know, you take the case of Jimmy Saville and all these other entertainers who, who've gotten into trouble. Famously, uh, the one you had a hand in with Gomeshi. Like, it, it seems important that at some point you fully understand uh, what the heck happened and who knew about it and what they did about it. And I'm not sure that's going to happen in this case because Jutra didn't work for anybody in particular. He was just part of this thing you you would vaguely describe as the film industry. Uh, 
I'm not, I'm not sure there's anyone to be held to account at this point. Well, you bring up a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, it, it's it's amazing. To, you know, you, you, you can describe in such extreme terms just how established a figure this this guy was that the Oscars of, of French cinema are named after him I used to live up the street on Clark from Jutra Park little parquet and, and all the streets and then overnight the establishment goes from defending him to we have now Quebec's Minister of Culture the mayor of Montreal everybody saying these allegations need to be listened to and this and we don't want this this guy's name on these things anymore and that legacy is just being absolutely removed, it seems like in a 24-hour period, I think it's going to be really important, especially if there are other victims out there, th- to actually have some sort of a, some kind of inquiry or fact-finding or reckoning where where it is made abundantly clear, the, 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 a process by which we're trying to arrive at the truth. But due process in a criminal court setting, Sandy Garasino, who's a former uh, Crown prosecutor, just wrote a piece in the National Observer. A criminal trial is not a process by which we're trying to arrive at the truth of two different conflicting versions of a story. A criminal trial is the process by which we try to determine whether guilt can be proven beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a very different thing than trying to figure out what the heck happened here. You know, you as a journalist, I mean, right now you're reporting on what happened in Quebec this this week. The question about what had happened between Jutra and all these boys, some sort of truth-finding process needs to take place, be it journalistic or an inquiry. I, I don't know. Of course, a criminal case is impossible because the man is dead. But I think that we're, we're, we're getting to a more sophisticated understanding when we throw around these terms due process in the courts. And we can decide as a society, and it seems that Quebec is deciding, has decided very rapidly to believe a victim. And that doesn't mean that anyone has been found criminally responsible for anything. But we've decided that, like, it just doesn't make any goddamn sense for this person to say that he was raped as a six-year-old boy if it wasn't true. No, that's right. And, and it'd be, you know, maybe it's interesting that out of Gomeshi, uh, there's been so much written. I, I seem to recall a piece not that long ago where this was suggested almost that there needs to be some other process for these sorts of cases, right? That... Uh, the criminal process just doesn't work for reconciliation, for for allowing people to to process the experience they had. Victims, by that I mean victims, you know, without this horrible confrontational sort of setting. Maybe the Quebec Justice Ministry or the Public Security Ministry will come up with that for this. I don't know. That would be uh, it, it. Would be fascinating if they did, and it would probably be healthy if they did. I guess there's been other cases too, you know, I, I think it was the RCMP that did a report on missing women in BC and they, they don't always, uh, they can sometimes be mandated to do things that aren't just linked to a strict uh, criminal process. Uh, I'm not sure a public inquiry works just because you've seen what a zoo those things can turn into and, uh, you know, does that do anything for, for the victims that may be out there? It's hard to... Hard to gauge that too, I guess. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll come up with something innovative for for a change. That would be nice. Yeah, this is such an interesting case because, you know, you have really only the one person not putting their name on the record. But this person, I think, is being believed. I wonder if that's because of La Presse's due diligence. I wonder if it's – it feels like there's room for some disassembly when – puberty is hit, whether this was somehow, and somehow, you know, you hear this banded, but well, it was the 60s, as if that means anything. But when we're talking about children, I think people people 
change their attitudes. Absolutely. What is the weird mathematic by which we decide whether someone is telling the truth or not? You know, you can you can look at are they on the record or are they anonymous? How many of them are there? Are they a, a male or female? Maybe the fact that it's it seems, and I know it's been argued that we're much quicker to uh, believe that a woman is lying about this sort of sort of thing than when a, you know why would a man say that this happened to him? I think that it becomes a strange mirror for all of our prejudices and biases about who, you know, who are we prepared to believe? Absolutely. And the other part of it is star worship. You know, that, that's part of what protected Jutra for, well, his, his entire lifetime plus 30 years is that, uh, you know, let's talk about that. The idea that this was an open secret. I mean, that, that, that's familiar as well, that everybody knew it. Um, I mean, and that sounds like something that you could maybe ask some questions about, you know, I, I've talked with a lot of people in the last few days and it's exactly that they all kind of knew he had this thing with, you know, they, they always refer to it as adolescence, right? And, uh, but, and the implication is, we don't know if he's 16 or 17, but, you know, we're pretty sure he's close to 18 and therefore we private business or something. It's, it's quite, today it's unmanageable. Like, I, I, you know, I didn't live in the 60s. I don't know what it was like then. I know that for, for one thing, he was admired for coming out as a homosexual or I, I should say bisexual because he also uh, had relationships with women. I think in the 1970s, and this was regarded as, you know, very avant-garde. So, the, you know, there's that layer of it too, where people, people's sexuality outside of the film community, where apparently all kinds of things were tolerated, uh, it was still taboo even in Quebec in the 70s to be a homosexual. The fact that people were going out of their way within the community to make sure he was okay with his homosexuality or his bisexuality, I'm sorry, I keep screwing that up, but the, you know, did that somehow create this tolerance? I don't, I don't know. But the, the one thing is like everyone you talk to, nobody says they knew that he was grooming six-year-olds and actually sexually touching six-year-olds, you know. Uh, it seems like that aspect of it definitely was buried. Few people that I've heard of had any knowledge of that, but uh, it's really hard to grasp how people look the other way. But I do think it had to do. Well, one of the, another aspect was he was apparently a very, very nice man, and this is something that comes up again and again too. I think you'd, you'd agree that uh, these sort of predators. You know, we again we always picture the guy with the with the hood in the alley uh, jumping people, but uh, you know. I suppose for some people it was just unimaginable that he was forcing himself on anyone because he's just so nice. Yeah, and the politics of this in that in that point in time, I mean, I'm quick to kind of dismiss the idea that for some reason the 60s you can get away with things. Uh, I think that's a romanticization that doesn't serve anyone well. And yet the context is relevant that this was the quiet revolution. The context is relevant that somebody, uh, you know, uh, coming out of the closet, whether as bisexual or gay, uh, now we, we look to him and we say, you know, prior to these accusations, that what a, what a brave person. And the kind of libel that homosexuals have always faced where once you're suspected of being a homosexual, uh, traditionally it's only a matter of time before somebody also accuses you of, of being a pedophile and the, the, the false equivalence and, and association of those two things, you could see how that might have protected people who actually were involved in that. And 
I, I, it's just such a, a mess of, of complicated politics when you talk about Quebec uh, and who knows what was going on under the influence of the Catholic Church before the 60s and, and how that influenced these dynamics. The, the transition from sort of being a, a figure of a sexual liberty to somebody who we now have to look at because you, we just have to respect we have to respect that there's somebody who was hurt by this guy. Yeah, and, that, and that's a, you raise a good point about the Quiet Revolution, you know, how deeply buried uh, sexual agency was in Quebec and in, in this, when this guy was coming of age in the 1940s and 50s, you know, uh, who knows what role that all plays in it, of course. So some of the language that's been used in the reporting of this, that Jutra seduced young boys, that he slept with young boys, is getting corrected on social media. And so, uh, people are saying, excuse me, he sexually assaulted young boys, uh, or at least this one boy. I feel like um, getting the words right is incredibly important to people who have direct personal experience with with abuse and assault. There's a learning curve. Uh, it's one that I've stumbled with in my reporting. Are, are, are you finding that uh, this is something that uh, we have the language for as reporters? We do, but you end up having to simplify it greatly, I think, and just be you know, as straight as you can be about things. Uh, and I've run into two, Jesse. I'm 45 years old, and uh, I'll tell you, one of the great gifts of Twitter for me is is learning about some of this stuff from uh, from feminists and activists and people who pay a lot of attention uh, to such things as language. You know, uh, I learn every day from from folks, and, and and the way I've responded to it isn't to try and like sanitize my stories for the sake of protecting victims or anything like that. What I try to do is I just try to be as specific as I can, you know. And so, uh, you know, one of the words that really bugs people uh, who advocate for sexual assault victims is the word allegedly. And it's a word that we throw around all the time in court coverage and that sort of thing and that people see as vital and all that sort of thing. And to me, it's a word that's kind of lost meaning over the years because it is just boilerplate reporter talk for... uh, and you're trying to cover your ass, you know, so so I just try to turn it around and I just say, you know, so, so you know, a man has accused Mr. Jutra of this and I'm just specific and accurate. And that's that's how I try to get around to it. I'm sure I slip all the time, too. And I'm sure I've used allegedly in the last week because sometimes you just can't avoid it in our trade. It's a necessary evolution, you know. We we advocate for language evolving in all sorts of ways, and why wouldn't it evolve in this way too? That's interesting. Just you can only get into so much trouble if you're just descriptive and factual, and not even from a political standpoint or any kind of correctness or sensitivity. I don't like allegedly for the same reason you don't that it just is becoming kind of a catch-all legal shield that that is a code word for reporters, meaning don't sue me. And uh, you, you don't know, is the person just saying that because they have to, or are they actually trying to tell me what's happening? And uh, it, becomes, it becomes a code and, and not, not actually language for the purpose of describing something. Yeah. And then, you know, so they, and it, what ends up happening is maybe you use a man says and a man accuses him of. Yeah. And a man, a man. But so what? He's a man. <laughs> you just you describe with what you got. Right. And uh, and I don't think my stories suffer for it. It's uh, I just uh, it's it's a, been an inter- it's an interesting challenge to try and be specific. And it's extra interesting in this case because we don't even have to protect Mr. Jutra. He's dead. There's nothing we can do to him now. You know, yes, he's got a legacy and all that sort of thing, but it's not the same as the reputation of a living person. So in some ways, we actually have more freedom, but I'm, I'm, I'm treating it like most other cases, but I am trying to be specific in the language that I use to, to try to avoid uh, some of these traps. But, and like I say, I know I, I fail too all the time, and, uh, 
but all you can do is try to be better. What happens now? The accused is dead. The accuser is uh, anonymous to the public. Is there more journalism to be done, or, or, or is, is there a search for other other victims? Well, well, I'm I'm positive there's a search for others. Uh, I, what I think will more likely happen is if Mr. Jutra was a serial predator uh, preying on young boys, there'll be others who will come forward. I would think, and uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know how many. I don't know for sure that that will happen, but. It seems reasonably likely if that was the case. And, and given the notoriety of his uh, taste for adolescence at the time, uh, it seems likely to me that there will be others who, who you know, weren't borderline 17-year-old cases or uh, that sort of thing. That uh, If he uh, targeted one six-year-old, why wouldn't he target other six-year-olds? I'm actually, that's what I'm doing some reporting on right now is trying to figure out what could come next. You know, is there, is there any mechanism for an investigation? Uh, are there institutions that need to be held to account? It's, it's not 100% clear. And, uh, you know, and there's, and there's mixed point of views on that too, that, uh, you know, any, any sort of formal process might drag people out who don't want to be dragged out. Uh, uh, so that's a concern too. And in the end, you know, Mr. Jutra's dead, and it was a long time ago, so is there anything to be gained by risking harm to victims? That's an argument I've heard once today already, so I don't know. I don't know for sure what's next, but uh, I would not be at all surprised in the next few weeks that uh, we hear more about the scope of this. You know, I think that it's a reasonable sensitivity and just a, a kindness to remove this guy's name from all these public places. I think that not just to his possible victims, but to any survivor of sexual assault or sexual abuse to walk around your city and see somebody glorified like that. I think it just supports the idea that you're the one who should be ashamed and you should shut up. I'm not so sure about the artwork, you know, uh, I'm not so sure. I don't know what's being done if he's being scrubbed from film school syllabus or, you know, public viewing, uh, you know, I, I, I always resist the idea of, of burying any artwork, especially artwork that people consider important. I doubt there'll be a new, uh, Claude Jutra film festival in the next uh, year or two. That's for sure. I don't think there is one at the moment. I, have, I find it hard to imagine that film schools would start uh, taking him off the curriculum. If anything, you know, this makes him fodder for even deeper examination, I think. Uh, yeah. Uh, but you raise a good point about victims uh, having to look at this guy being glorified. I mean, that's part of what kept this, uh, this uh, victim that La Presse had silent all these years. This guy was being celebrated every year in the month of March and... You know, it, it weighed on him like a stone. And uh, so, you know, hopefully it'll be liberating for any others that might be out there and uh, and for, like you say, other victims. And and you know what? How about just you're a guy who lives on Claude Jutra Street and you have a kid. Yeah. You know, yeah. is that what you want? Do you want to go play with your kid at Park Claude Jutra? You know, like that's uh, you don't even have to be directly uh, harmed by sexual abuse to want to steer clear of that legacy, I think. Les, thank you very much. My pleasure, Jesse. That is your Canada Land Show. Hope you enjoyed it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read them all and I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Our Facebook page is where you can find a link to Canada Land at the Movies this Thursday. 
The next episode of Canada Land Commons is coming out on Tuesday, and the next episode of Canada Land Shortcuts will drop on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.